Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. As Florida begins to rebuild communities ravaged by Hurricane Ian, the death toll is rising, most of them in a single county. Some Florida lawmakers explain why they rejected a spending package with disaster relief money. NTD's Melina Wisecup has the details. As search and rescue missions continue throughout Florida in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian, officials have discovered that around 100 people have died, at least 54 of those in one Florida county. Search and rescue teams have been out countless hours straight through the night nonstop with over 800 rescues. That's huge. Lee County officials ordered evacuations less than 24 hours before landfall. That was a day after some neighboring counties and two days after storm surge warnings. You know, they informed people and most people did not want to do it. I mean, that's just that's just the reality. So you know, you're in a situation, are you going to grab someone out of their home that doesn't want to? I don't think that's the appropriate use of government. I mean, I think that that, that takes it a little too far. Shattered Florida communities bond together to cope with the destruction from Ian's wrath. It wiped out the one road that links this island to the rest of the state. We have a lot of kind-hearted people who pull together all the resources that they have you know, from water, from fuel, from meat, you know, from all kinds of supplies. The destruction expected to deal a blow to the state's economy, as rebuilding communities will be costly. Losses are predicted to cost between 28 and $47 billion. Florida lawmakers are now asking the federal government for more money to pay for the damages. That's after nearly all Republicans in Congress voted against a funding bill with $19 billion for disaster relief. People need to understand that we can do it. It's possible to do it without loading it with these other things, because otherwise you'll have people in the Senate, in the House that are going to vote against disaster relief because they view these disaster relief bills as ways for other people to get their pork and their pet projects done. Rubio was not present for the vote, but he said he'd oppose any bill that's packed with unrelated spending while advocating for more targeted disaster relief funds to pass Congress. Senator Rick Scott explains he voted against the disaster relief because it was lumped together with unrelated spending, like billions more for Ukraine and other measures. Representative Matt Gates expressed his opposition on Twitter, saying, quote, Dear Congress, on behalf of my fellow Florida man in grave need of assistance, just send us like half of what you sent Ukraine, signed your fellow Americans. Ian is expected to be one of the costliest storms ever. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Ian made landfall in South Carolina last Friday as a Category 1 hurricane. How serious was the destruction and how did South Carolina manage it? Joining us today is South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman. Congressman Ralph Norman, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Congressman, Hurricane Ian has devastated a significant part of Florida's West Coast, but carried on wreaking havoc in other areas as well. South Carolina, where uh, you're located, also took a pretty serious hit. Uh, what can you tell us? Well, from the, from the time that it hit, George, hit uh, Georgetown, which is 60 miles northeast of Charleston, we had flooding, we had trees down, and, um, and power lines. And luckily, it wasn't the damage that was horrific in Florida, but still, it's a uh, it's a tremendous loss, and mainly we we have farming communities uh, all around South Carolina, 20, over 25,000 farms, 
and uh, the fact that the crops, we won't know how it affects them. Many were late in getting planted because of the shortage of fertilizer and the uncertainty of being able to sell the crops, but that's where it'll be found and the things that we produce, cotton, soybeans, corn, going to be affected. But uh, the human impact we've been it hasn't been the the deaths that uh, that Florida has, but still, anytime you have something of a flooding like this, a hurricane, uh, it's a serious matter. Carsman, from a logistical and rebuilding uh, standpoint, whether it be South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, when you have widespread destruction like this, what are some of the challenges, and what type of help do you think is needed? Well, you know, the luckily our governor. Uh, was quick to to address it. He didn't evacuate it, but it was an emergency situation that he uh, stayed on top of all during the storm. The emergency crews that went out at all hours of the night to get power back on, the uh, crews that you know managed to get the trees off the roadways, and uh, it wasn't much they could do on the flooding, but uh, they stayed on top of it. From on the federal level. Uh, this administration, like most everything else they've done, is is late to the task of doing anything. And really, uh, during the times that it was hit hardest, both you know from not only just Florida but our coast, Myrtle Beach, uh, and the areas around it, it uh, it'll be interesting to see what dollars come from the federal government. But uh, they're slow to react. But not our team uh, here on the ground. Again, I give all the gov the, the governor. McMaster did a f fantastic job, and I think the crews are continuing to work, and we'll be back and up and running. Carson, you bring up an interesting point there. Everything nowadays uh, turns into a political opportunity. Is there any concern that hyper-politicization uh, may interfere with the aid in red states or two red states that have been affected, such as South Carolina and Florida? Yeah, Stephen, you know, for, for the vice president, Kamala Harris, to say that whatever dollars come, whenever they come, will be to, you know, low and moderately, you know, income households, uh, and to make a racial I issue out of it. I don't think the storm targets any one group of people intentionally. Uh, the, the global alarmists, I think, would admit that. But for her to gaslight that is just very unfortunate. But she continues to do it. And where is she? Uh, why isn't she on the ground in Florida? Why isn't she on the ground looking at the situation in South Carolina. Uh, she just, there's a disconnect there that is, uh, that's evident, it's bitter, and uh, it shouldn't happen. But, uh, you know, this has gotten to be a common occurrence with this administration and shows how they've got an elitist approach and they're just disconnected with everyday Americans. Congressman, before I let you go, a budget re resolution was passed uh, last week to continue funding the uh, federal government. You voted no. Uh, why? Well, first of all, Steve, it's a, it's a tragedy that uh, we don't have a budget. You know, we've known all year long we have a budget uh, to meet. Uh, December 30th is the last day. We're supposed to have a budget in place by October 1. And like in 40 years uh, that this began where we didn't have a budget, uh, is the same was uh, the tr is true now, and the reason I voted against the continuing resolution is one, it had 12 billion dollars in there for Ukraine. Where's the money for America? Where's the money uh, to fund the border? Where's the money to pay our military who've been fired because not getting the shot? Uh, so I just disagreed with the content of it, and I disagreed with the timing. 
uh, any, and there were 10 Republicans that voted for it, but it should be extended through uh, in January where the new Congress will take, uh, you know, will take effect and not let the Democrats who are running the tables on the Treasury, unfortunately. And uh, so I, this was an easy no vote to me. And uh, they do it every year. We'll get it around Christmas time, and there'll be a Christmas list of giveaways that this administration will want to have. And it's so unfortunate. South Carolina Congressman Ralph Norman, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Recently, we had a chance to speak with Utah Congressman Burgess Owens about the health of America's education system and some of those issues that are important to voters as we head into the fall elections. Well, first of all, I love the fact that we, we've taken this last year of task force polling, going back to our district, getting feedback, to come out with something that's, that's important for Americans. So it's not just us saying this is what we want to make sure happen. We're saying this is what American people are demanding for us. And to say the least, this is the time that I've never seen where more Americans are having this conversation, where it might, might be in different parts of the aisle there, Democrats, Independents, Republican, but here are the things that we love together and want to make sure we move forward, because we, we love our kids. And that is, as we, as we know, a, a you know, economy that's strong, a nation that's safe, a government that's accountable, and a future built on freedom. With me, built on freedom says everything. To have a free country, we have to be educated. We have to know our history. We have to, to know that uh, we are a country built on the idea of becoming a more perfect union. And to have that happen, we need to put power back into the parents, uh, hands of parents so that their child is getting the very best ed education, being the very best person they can be in producing for our country and being innovative moving forward. So the Parents' Bill of Rights is something I'm really excited about. What it says very simply is that the parents are the primary educator. Every child has a, 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 a kind of given to each one of them a certain amount of dollars, tax dollars. Just imagine that those dollars in a backpack and that parent saying, based on the school's focus, based on how they respect my child, based on the, the, the values, I'm going to put my child in one of these different schools. What that does gives us a meritocracy once again. We should have in the school system like we have in everything else, fast foods, Hotels, there's always meritocracy. The very best are the places to get the best income. Education should be the same way. Those who educate our kids the best have the best teachers. The teachers that want to stay there because they're getting paid the income that they deserve. Those are the schools that we should be able to go to. And that will actually, it will, it will eliminate those systems that are not working for our kids. And we need to be able to eliminate the bad and highlight the good. And I'm excited about where we're going with, as a party with, with that in mind. Congressman, you bring up a lot of interesting points. One thing that comes to mind is the uh, pandemic um, with the remote learning. It allowed parents to get a glimpse into the curriculum. Um, there's a lot of concerns right now. Um, wh what are some of yours? Uh, as it should be. What we're realizing is that there has been a left-leaning wing that's been undermining our school system for a long time. We just didn't know it. Uh, when you go to California in 2017, 75% of the black boys in the state of California could not pass standard reading and writing tests. That is a disaster. You have Baltimore districts have zero proficiency in math. The problem is they've been getting away with it because parents, good parents, have sympathy, but they can put their kids in any school system they want to, any, as long as they're in the right zip code, they have the right income. The pandemic allowed that sympathy to go to empathy because all parents realize None of, my, none of our kids are being treated right. None of our kids are being educated. None of our kids are being taught to, be, to love our country, love each other. With that empathy that Americans are the best at, we now look at solutions that all of us can agree on. So we're in a place now, in terms of education, that we can disrupt the system that's not been working for over 170 years for us. That's how long, this, that's how long the system's been around, by the way. 
The founder of, of the education system, Horace Mann, died 20 years before Alexander Bell made the first phone, phone call. That phone call from then has gone out to a, a, our cell phones. Education has not changed at all since that time. We need to make sure that meritocracy fits in here, that we can pick the very best for our child, and with that, those who don't, uh, don't, don't, don't give our, our nation to what we need, then they'll go out of business, which it should be. Congressman, the teachers union is a very powerful union, um, and it's become political. And so how concerning is it that the largest, one of the largest union, maybe the, the largest union in the country, is uh, become a political arm of the Democrat Party? It has always has been. Uh, when I talked about what happened in California, keep in mind what I just said. 75% of the black boys in the state of California in 2017 could not read and write. That's because of unions. That's because of adults who care more about adults than their kids. That should be a warning signal to all of us. None of us should be happy or think that it's just the way it is with black people, that they cannot pass the ability to talk, to read, to articulate themselves. What happens when, when we don't give our kids the ability to, to produce and to compete, they go to crime. So we should not be surprised in California what's going on there. No, the unions have always been our issue. We have to make sure that what, what the unions have stopped us from doing, that is taking a look at every single option out there, meritocracy. If public schools work, that's great. If it doesn't, private schools should be an option. If that doesn't, homeschool should be an option. We can have all different types of options. It's all about our children, not about the institution. It's not about these parents, I mean, not about these teachers who are making, a, not, no, I'm sorry, the administrators for these unions. I'll make that point. My mom and dad were, were, were educators, so I know what it is to have teachers who love what they do. We should have an environment in which the very best in our country, whether in the institution or not, could be drawn to teaching because they make the income, they have an impact on these kids, which they want to have, that they can have a career that they're respected, they make a good income, and they're giving back to our nation. So that, that, we look forward to making sure that happens and move forward. Congressman Burgess Owens, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.